bow your heads with me in prayer as we invite our speaker for this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are a living God. Thank you that you created us for a relationship. Thank you that religion is redundant because Christ has sent the Spirit of God to us and that a relationship is now possible through the cross. I thank you, O God, that your words to us are in English. They, don't, they are not coded. They are understandable, comprehensible, and compassionate. Thank you, Father, you speak to us not as intellectuals, but as children, as sheep, as those needing you. With tender tones, you understand us. No matter how much we beat ourselves up, you are always, always dispensing more and more grace. And your grace is amazing. It seems to go on and on and on. And just when we think we have gone too far, you're just beginning with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I need you to get your people's attention with all the distractions and all the anxieties and all the thoughts swirling around in our heads. I need you to speak to them. I need you to move me out of the way and get their attention. Perhaps today, for the very first time, they will actually hear your voice, some of them. And for the rest of us, oh God, teach us to humble ourselves and to live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Every relationship is built on talking, conversation. You can't do it without conversation. Even uh, long-distance relationships, we make sure that there's conversation. You didn't call me. You didn't speak to me. You didn't call me. I, I didn't hear from you. I haven't heard from you in a long time. Conversation is integral critical, crucial to building a relationship. Yes, no, hallelujah. All right. Prayer is our conversation with God. And when prayer is non-functional, non-responsive, then it affects the relationship. A lot of atheists and people who are cold towards God didn't get there overnight. They got it because they asked God for certain things, they cried out for certain things. They wanted certain things and God didn't answer them. So the easier thing was to dismiss God's existence than to actually believe that his will is, is bigger than mine or that his no is more valuable than my yes. Is everybody with me? Yes? Prayer is so integral to our faith and prayer is not working, faith doesn't work. Faith is not working, then our relationship falls apart. And the greatest confidence we have in life is backup. To be backed up with knowing when I pray, God's going to answer. When I pray, God's going to answer. Whenever we have somebody we know who's bigger than us, wiser than us, higher than us, richer than us, stronger than us, we feel like we're backed up. We feel like somebody's got our backs. We feel we feel as somebody, if we ran to them, they would solve our problems. They would take care of it. And if we pray and we don't get answers from God, we get a little worried. In fact, our faith wanes. So we pray more, we see more. We see more, we pray even more. It goes round in circles. But sometimes there are people and there are seasons. What did I say? Sometimes there are people and there are seasons where God doesn't answer. He doesn't answer. <clears throat> it's just third prayer, fourth prayer, fifth prayer. He just doesn't answer. And you feel cold and you feel distant and you feel somewhat unloved. And I'm talking to that situation now, <clears throat> this morning. How to convince God to answer your prayer? 
when he's turned his face from you, or when he seemed dis- seems distant, or when it doesn't seem like you're hearing from him, how do you get God to move in your life? How do you get God to move in your life? Today I'm covering the, the whole chapter of James, James chapter 4, all of it. And I'm going to cruise through it as fast as I can, but I'm not going to read it right now because my throat is gone already, and, uh, and it's a long passage. Okay? So I'm going to trust you to kind of keep your Bibles open. And with every point, there's a text. With every text, there's a point. And if you can take notes quick, great. If you can't, you know, like, Pastor Jerry, this is too boring. I can't take notes. Then just email me, PST, Pastor Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, PST Jeremy, at Gmail, and I will email it to you. Have you heard of email? Powerful thing. I will email it to you, right? Okay. So James begins by gorging the peace levels of our life. He gets to the bottom of it. James is an interesting guy. He's like straight up in your face. I mean, he uses language that is just offensive. It's just offensive until you realize it's true. Uh, He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be real. So he just tells it like it is. I like James that way. Okay. And he says, let's look at the dashboard. Last time we said, your emotions are the dashboard. Remember? We said, what you work out is what's coming from within. Okay, what spills is what's, what the glasses filled off. That's what he says right over here. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Where does that come from? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Is it not that your passions are what? Let me break it down in my language. Fighting on the inside is because there's a war. Fighting on the outside is because there's a war on the inside. Sorry about that. I didn't hold it. Fighting on the Outside is because there is a war on the inside. Soak that in for a little bit. Just let it soak in. When a person is fighting on the outside, constantly, you know, bickering, irritable, easily, easily angered, easily engaged in a fight, blows up easily, yeah? You scratch them, they leak, yeah? When a person is like that, it's usually because there's a fight within there's a fight with him. We are small people. Five feet, five feet, four, five to six feet at max, right? But there's a world within us. And there's a galaxy within us of intergalactic warriors. And there are two sides that are battling each other every day. And it's very draining. Very draining. You know when you feel sick? You feel sick when your antibodies are fighting? When our antibodies are fighting, our infections, right? We have fever. Right? That's as far as my medical thing goes. That's what they told me. So when I have fever, I know that my body's fighting something. When I get angry, when I get upset, when I get easily angry, easily dissuade, easily thrown off center, I know that there's something happening inside. There's a world of, and it's the flesh versus the spirit fighting for contrary affections. Fighting on the outside is because there is a war on the inside. James says, why? Why do you fight? Why do quarrels come up? Why do fights come up? Is it not because your passions are at war within you? And he explains this. Number one, he says, you're not getting what you want. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Hey, hey, hold, hold. Hey, James, hang on, man. I didn't murder anybody. Did you hate them or you murdered them? Did you slash their, uh, their uh, reputation? Well, you murdered them. Did you make them feel low? Did you devalue them? Well, you murdered them. Anything opposite of life and value is, is murder. 
He says, you're not want, you're not, you don't get what you want, you murder. He says, others get what you want. <laughs> That's the next level. Others get what you want. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You covet and you cannot get what others have, which you should have. Okay. He says, and you don't want to pray about it. You don't want to pray about it. You don't want to ask God about it. You just want it. You just want to fight for it. You don't want to ask God for it. You don't want to wait for God to provide. So he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Are you reading the text? The text is at the lower and on top is what I had to say in black. You do not have because you do not ask. And then when you do ask, God is not listening. You don't hear answers from God. Why? Because you ask and you do not receive. You get upset, you pray, you don't get an answer. And finally he says, you ask for the wrong things because you're driven by the war inside you. Put the whole thing together. Everybody with me? Right? Where do fights and quarrels come from? Because there's a war within. Why is there a war within? Because you're not getting what you want. Or others are getting what you want. Right? So you covet, you murder, you fight, you quarrel. When all of that is happening, you don't want to pray. Because you just want what you want. And when you don't, even if you pray, it doesn't get answered. And when you, uh, when you pray and it doesn't get answered, it's because you prayed for what the fight's about. You prayed for what the fight's about. The fight has to stop. The fight has to stop. Because you wrongly, you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your passions. Look at that statement for just a bit. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God wants to give you peace. But you want to use it on yourself. God wants to give you resources, but you want to use it on the flesh. God wants to give you good looks. You want to use it on the flesh for the benefit of the flesh. God wants to give you, you know, He wants to lift you up. He wants to give you honor. He wants to give you promotion in the world. But you want to use it for the flesh. So the flesh is constantly fighting with the spirit. Spirit saying, live for God. Flesh is saying, make. Flesh is saying, live for God. No, spirit is saying, live for God. Flesh is saying, me. Say it. Yeah. Come on. Let's get real with James. That's who we are. That's what we are. And when we, start, when we come to terms with the fact that there is a fight within, and if I, God gives me something and I'm going to, going to use it for me, then God's going to stop answering prayers. Because God wants bigger things for you. He wants Three bigger things for you. He wants amazing things for you. And I'm going to end with that. So this is what he does. That's what fighting and quarreling comes from. The first thing you've got to understand is that fighting on the outside is because there is war on the inside. Don't go blaming everybody else. Nobody has messed up your life. Nobody's irritating you. The traffic will always be the traffic. And the world is made of atoms, molecules, and they don't have a mood and they don't have a conspiracy against you. The fight is inside here. Friendship with the world on earth here makes us enemies with God in heaven there. Friendship in the, with the world on earth here makes us enemies with God in heaven there. So he says, you adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James, dude, listen, you gotta watch your language, bro. You adulterous people? Come on. You know, I really like that phrase. I really like that phrase. Because it reminds me that I'm married to God. 
It reminds me that I'm in a covenant relationship. When he says, you adulterous people, he's saying, you are already in a love relationship. You're already in a covenant relationship. You already have a husband. You already have a, a wife. You have a spouse who loves you and cares for you. And you are already committed. Why are you looking to a friend when you have a husband or when you have a wife? Why are you, you get the marriage versus friendship? Get the marriage. Look at it. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. You adulterous people, do you not know that what? He didn't say marriage with the world. So he says adulterous. Then he says friendship. Did he get that? Yeah? Because friends can be an enemy to the marriage. And when you look to friends to give you what marriage is supposed to give you, those are not the benefits we're looking for. Listen very carefully as he uses the, the phrase, you adulterous people. You belong to God. God loves you. God wants you. And he's got stuff for you. But you want to be friends with the world. Why? Because you think your friend can give you more pleasure than your God. So he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. Look at it. He hasn't even become a friend of the world yet. He only wishes. Those who wishes to be a friend of God makes himself an enemy of God. Who becomes the enemy of God? Who does that? Whose action is that? Who wanted that? When you wish to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. God's not turning against you. God's not the one who's leaving you. God's not the one who's stopped loving you. When we turn our backs on God, it's mostly because we have got our eyes on some other thing that the world has to offer. James is saying, when you do these things, you slowly begin to lose your confidence that God answers prayer. You lose your confidence that God answers prayer. These are the things in our life that takes us, take us away from God. The third thing he says as he moves on in his argument towards this, James says, we want the spiritual to bow to the flesh. We want the spiritual to bow to the flesh. We want the creator to bow to creation. And that is pride. That is pride. When Lucifer, Isaiah 14, he says, I will be like the most high God. I want to be like him. I want to be in his place. When man says, I will be God. I will decide the destiny of my life. I will decide how, what is the values of my life. I will decide how I treat people. When man becomes, it's pride. Friendship with the world on earth makes us enemies with God in heaven. We want the spiritual to bow to the flesh. We want the creator to bow to the creation. And that is pride. See what he says in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no, no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you. What's he saying? What's he saying? He yearns jealously for the spirit that has made to dwell in you. The spirit of God was given to live in you and he wants to be in a close relationship with you. He wants to be in a close relationship with you. But something is coming in the way. The flesh. Something is coming in the way constantly. Because I want to live for the flesh. I want to pleasure the flesh. I want to reward the flesh. I want to... You see what I'm saying? I want to have fun. I want to enjoy. Is there anything wrong with that? Uh-uh, no. Should you go to parties? Stop going? Uh-uh, no. What are we saying here? When the flesh begins to fight the spirit... The war within is going to become a fight outside. And the fight outside is going to destroy relationships. And the number one relationship it destroys is God. Is this making sense? It's making sense? So you go to the root. You go straight to the root. James is good like that. He goes straight to the root. He says, we want the spiritual to bow to the flesh. So what's the answer? The answer is, God turns his face from pride, but is drawn toward humility. God turns his face from pride... Is drawn towards humility. Would you read this verse with me, please? 
Verse 6. Let's read it together. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but does what? Gives grace to the humble. Who is the humble person? The humble person who is one who calls a truce on the fight. Number one, write it down. He calls a truce on the fight. You see that? He calls a truce on the war within. I'm not going to fight this anymore. One has to bow to the other. And you have to decide, is the flesh going to bow to the spirit? Or is the spirit going to bow to the flesh? You have to decide. All right. Call a truce on the war. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. The huge frustration in prayer, in unanswered prayer, is many have decided God doesn't even exist. God is far from Him. But the way to bring God back to you, the way to turn God's head back to you, is very, very simple. The two reasons. Listen to me carefully. Two reasons God holds back on answering, and that is the war within and the pride outside. The war within and the pride outside. So then we convince God by these simple acts of humility. Number one, call a truce on the war within. Say, Lord, if it's going to be a fight, you win. That's what love does, doesn't it? That's what love does. When we're standing there about to get married, in that moment we're like, you're always going to be right. Anytime I'm going to bow to you. You love that person so much in that moment, you say the rest of our life, you know, I'm going to adjust to you. Things change after that. I don't know what happens. But with the baby, when my son was born, the baby was lying in that little cot right next to my wife's bed. And I looked at the baby and I'm like, no matter what you do, no matter how far you run, I will always, always love you. And I put my two hands on him and it covered him completely. Now it doesn't. I just put my hands on him and I said, I will always love you. And I don't know why. Such a deep internal willingness to fight for him, to provide for him, to love him, no matter what he does, even if he spits in my face and even if he dishonors my name, I will love this kid. Where does that come from for a small chicken, 1.6 kgs? How do you, how do you, where, where does it come from? Love for God is no different. When you decide you want to love God, you decide you want to love God. And you say, Lord, if there's any point in time where it's your spirit versus my flesh, you will win. That's what it means to call a truce on the, on the war, right? So the first thing is I submit myself to God. Because they're big words, you know, submit yourself, therefore, to God. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means you call a truce on the fight. Number two, the second thing I can do to humble myself to show humility, is make it hard for the devil to mess with me. Make it hard for the devil to mess with me. What is the scripture? It says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and it flees from you. So you're in Sarojini Nagar market, right? And somebody is trying to snatch your handbag. Okay? The guys are thinking, I don't have a handbag. <coughs> okay, okay, I get it. So they're either trying to snatch your wallet or trying to snatch something. But let's say a lady has got a handbag, very nice handbag. <coughs> And uh, this guy is coming to and snatch it. And she grabs a hold of it. He's got it. She's got it. And she resists. You can't steal what is mine. I'm not going to let you steal what is mine. And when you resist the devil, he's going to drop it and run. The Bible says that. Now what are you resisting? And what is he trying to steal? He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your influence. 
which God gave you. He's trying to steal your, your connections, your blessing. He's trying to steal your day. He's trying to steal your first thoughts of the day. He's trying to steal your peace between your spouse and you because you just have to leave the home with a small fight and the whole day goes badly. Yes, no, hallelujah. Yes. Spouses, you mean so much to us that our whole day is rubbish if that look on your face as we left wasn't filled with love. Singles, what are you thinking? <laughs> you, you, you're looking for that person. You're looking for that person who will smile as you leave home and be thrilled when you come back home. Isn't that right? Aiga, aiga. Number aiga. Don't let the devil steal that. Little things like that is what say. And when you resist the devil, you're like, no, that's mine. That peace is mine. That joy is mine. I'm not going to let Satan take that. A third thing you can do to win, to win God's attention, to show your humility. Number three, make the effort to get close to God. Make an effort. When's the last time you made a valiant, physical, practical effort to get closer to God? Come to church for starters. Commit to a church. Commit to a home group. Commit to the Bible and your time with the Bible. Show something in a practical way that you're serious about God. Let me speak to men. Okay? Men, you need to do that. Why? Because God made you. And God made you for a relationship with you. He didn't make you for a relationship with your wife. That's what other men want. God made you for a relationship with you. And God's relationship with a man is a masculine one. It's a masculine one. It's not touchy-feely. It's not love and hugs. It's a masculine one. It's a punch on the shoulder. I said, man, I'm with you, man. Son, you're going to do it. You're going to make me proud today. I'm going to give you profit today. I'm going to give you promotion today. I'm going to speak into your heart. And as you go, as you go, you'll hear a voice from behind you. Go this way, go that way. I will guide you. You be my soldier, man. You lift up that armor. But you remember, it's my fight. I'm fighting for you. God speaks to, he has a relationship, he connects with men the way men need God to connect with them. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. For a man to feel loved, he needs to feel respected, honored, and owned. You are part of my army, you are part of my battalion. You got my name, you got my banner, you got my reputation. You are part of my company, and when everything's over, I'm going to give you everything I have. Men need to hear that. They need to hear fathers speak down into their lives, into their hearts, and to know that there is a future because I have a father. Men need to hear that. And you men, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, God wants a relationship with you that requires you to make practical steps to say, you know what, if God is God of my life, then he's going to be God of my schedule. If God is God of my life, he's going to be God of my finances. If God is God of my life, he's going to be God of my priorities. So when you take out your palm top or your phones or your whatever, and you begin to plan your day, put God first. Put God first. If you wait for the moment for when you need a relationship with God, when you need God's help, if you wait for a time when you need God to intervene, you'll never get there. Because the heart of man will always be like, I'll do it, I'll do it, leave me alone. I just, I just need some time out. I just need some time out. I'll, I'll figure this out. Just, just give me, just, just leave me alone. Every guy just wants to do that. And he thinks he's going to come up with a solution for his life. You probably will. 
and you lose out on a relationship with God. Why am I saying this? Why did I just use five minutes of the sermon time just to say that? Because you, somebody taught you wrong. Somebody taught you that a relationship with God is all touchy-feely and it's, you know, you come to God and you share and you depend and you give up everything and you kind of just, you know, you just kind of follow God and you just like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, it's just so wussy. It's just very, and that's why many men just can't connect with this whole God thing. And I stand in front of you with muscles and everything telling you that God made me first. It was me he had in mind. A man. And he had a voice for me. He had a will for me. He had a command for me. And he had a plan for my life. And in that plan, he gave me a garden. He gave me a world. He gave me a woman. And that's all part of the wealth that I have. That God has given me so that I may worship him. I may worship him. So how do I step forward and show practically my desire for God? Number one, call a truce on the fight. Number two, make it hard for the devil. Kick him. Send him home kicking and screaming. Make an effort to get close to God. What does the scripture say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to do. Number four, quit living a compromised life. Quit living a compromised life. Take the stash out of your, of your little secret cupboard. Clean out your house. Imagine that your wife or your friends or your God can walk through your home, walk through your life and open anything and be, be an open book. Live confidently. And that means live openly. Quit living a compromised life. And what does that mean? Make up your mind. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's your actions. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. That means when your heart is divided. Sometimes I want to do this, sometimes I want to do that. It's, that's what gets you into trouble. So quit living a compromised life. Don't put two feet in a boat, in two different boats. You know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Number five, show some remorse for crying out loud. Show some remorse for the things you've done. Come on, let's, let's get real. Let's get real. When somebody wrongs you, are you with me? Huh? Or have you gone home? In that case, you left your body back. Please come and collect. <laughs> I know my time's up, right? Give me seven minutes. Give me seven minutes. Yeah. When somebody offends you, you're not just going to say, ah, it's okay, forget it. You don't do that. You want them to squirm a little. You want them to little feel a little, right? So we just say, ah, I'm sorry. You don't even want to forgive that person. But when that person says, I can't believe I said that to you. I I'm really sorry. You know, I've been thinking about it, and as I think about it, I'm really sorry I said That must have sounded really hurtful. I'm really sorry about it. Punch minute, bud, 10 minutes later, half an hour, halfway through the day, you know, I just, one more time, you know, I know, I know you're okay. I know you've forgotten it, because you're amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I'm really sorry. And by that time, you help that person to forgive you better. You make it easier on that person to forgive you because they're beginning to see that you're thinking about it and you're processing it and you're really, really sorry. Okay? Then comes the change of behavior as well. Show some remorse for the things you've done. Of course, James does it so nice, doesn't say it as nicely as I do. He says, be wretched. How about that? He says, be wretched. He says, mourn. And he says, weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Because he says, I want to see some repentance. I want to see some remorse. One way to bring, to show God your humility is to call a truce on the fight. The second way is to what? Make it hard for the devil to mess with you. The third is make an effort, practical effort to get close to God. Fourth is to quit living a compromised life. Fifth is to show some remorse. Show some remorse. Sixth is to give God his due place. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you. Seven is to quit judging. Quit judging. Quit, quit being judgmental. Period. You cannot judge. Let me say this and then I'll go on, move on to eight. You cannot judge for the simple reason that you judge out of the law. Okay? You judge out of the law. So in the high court... Uh, the high court judge, he sits down, he opens the book of the law, and he judges on the basis of the law. So he is authorized by the, high, by the government, by the high court, he's authorized to open the book of the law and throw the book at you. Right? So when you judge and I judge, we are getting behind the law, and we are judging the law. We're judging by the law. And he says, uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, you are that side of the law. You don't get to judge. Look at what he says. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges, uh, or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges by the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to do two things. Number one, to destroy and to save. Can you save? Uh-uh. Can you destroy? Uh-uh. You're not a judge. So don't judge. Forget it. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So the eighth thing he says is quit being judgmental. Quit being judgmental. Okay? Uh, the eighth point he says is quit thinking that your future is your own. This is kind of weird. He goes off onto a tangent, but let me finish it real quick. He's not saying don't make plans. He's not saying don't buy a ticket. He's not saying don't save. He's not saying don't be confident that God is with you and go ahead, going to go ahead of you. You want to go, you know, to... to Indonesia have a nice holiday please do that but what he's saying is don't own your future as if you think you have it can I say that again don't own your future own your future as if you think you have it that means don't think that just because you made a plan it's going to happen he's also not saying you have to say inshallah before everything you do he's not saying that either what he's saying is to be humble and recognize that the breath in your lungs right now is God's gift. And for tomorrow, there's no guarantee. So humbly make plans, have dreams, talk about it, pray it up to God, and then let God unfold your life. Day by day, live day by day. So eighth way to show humility is not to act like you own your future, but to act like God is the proprietor of your future. And lastly, he says, start with the doing what is right. He says, if you know what is right to do, then just do that. Do that. Okay? So it all boils down to these two things. Being humble. humble some, submit yourself and humble yourself. Submit yourself and humble yourself. Let me close by telling you this. God really wants these three things for you. So he's promised it in this passage of scripture. Three wills. I will, I will, I will. Right? Number one is, he says, Satan will run from you. If you are humble, if you humble yourself, based on what I just talked about, Satan will run from you. Because the only grip, only grip, the only handle Satan has on your life, no, you're not listening to me. Look at me and listen to me. God is about to speak to you. The only handle, 
You know how hard it is to pick up something that doesn't have a handle? The only handle Satan has on your life is your pride. The moment you get pride, Satan can grab you. Satan can't handle humble people. There's no grip. So humble yourself and Satan will run from you. Satan will run. God wants Satan far from you. God doesn't want him involved. Number two, God will draw near to you. The second assurance if you're humble is God is drawn to people who are humble and he opposes those who are proud. He gives grace. He opposes. And the third thing is God himself will exalt you. Tomorrow's promotion, God already knows. Tomorrow's blessing, God already knows. Tomorrow's bonus, God already knows. And I'm not just talking about financial, you know, I'm talking about overall blessing. God wants to bless you. He wants to show you favor. Why? Why does God want to show you favor? For the same reason I want my son all the way around the other side of the world to do well. He's my son. He's my son. <laughs> I want him to do well. I want him to, to earn well. I want him to succeed well. I want him to get awards. Why? I want him to always be resourced. Why? Because he's my son. He reflects me. He reflects the way I provide. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. So Satan will run from you when you're humble. God will draw near to you when you're humble. And God himself, God himself will exalt you. You're looking for a promotion. You want a better life. Don't put people down. Get God to lift you up. When God lifts you up, it'll be too high for people to drag you down. They're not that tall. That's how high God lifts his people up. With every head bowed and every eye closed, respond to God. Say one sentence, Lord, this is what I understood from the sermon. This is what I understood from what Pastor Jerry said. This is what I would like to say back to you today. Ask for help for something. Ask God to change you in something. Ask for strength for something. Ask for clarity about something. And if you're just bored, ask God to give you spiritual life so that spiritual food actually attracts you. More love, more power, more of you in my life. More love, more power, more of you in my life. And I will worship you with all of my heart. And I will worship you with all of my mind. And I will worship you with all of my strength. Because you are my Lord. You are my Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you rest. God bless you.